I have eye contact. <laughs> That's significant. The talking ceases and I see eyes. Maybe I should just sit here and enjoy it, huh? <laughs> That's ego. <laughs> I do have an ego, but I try to keep it under control, okay? Good morning. Good morning. Well, here we are in... Um, I know that a lot of you are experience frustration over the COVID restrictions that we have to deal with. Absolutely. So let me read a statement here. Thanks to everyone for working with us on our COVID restrictions. As you all know, the guidelines change. Currently, we still need to do the following. Number one, everyone over four years old should wear a mask at all times when in the building except when we take communion. Please stay six feet apart. That means sitting on every other pew Outside the building, please fellowship at a distance of six feet apart. When sitting in the church pews, households may sit together. Other households should stay six feet apart. We are required to designate a person as distancing monitor. These people are true safety servants. If they ask you to move, please be pleasant and oblige. We want everyone who attends to be safe and feel safe. Please honor your brothers and sisters by respecting these safeguards. We will update them as the pandemic changes and the recommendations change. Thank you for cooperating and helping us. Our goal is to keep our church family healthy and safe. So now, welcome to everybody, especially welcome if you're visiting with us today. This is the first day of the week, and therefore, it's a special day. We um, acknowledge and celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and today is a little extra special for some because it is known as Easter. So much of the world is celebrating the resurrection of Christ today. About almost 2,000 years ago, a letter was written in the first century. I'd like to read an excerpt from that letter as we begin our worship today. It is written by the Apostle Paul 
to the church in Corinth, we know it today as 1 Corinthians. And this excerpt is from chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. And it says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that we know you, we know that you are the creator, and we know that you raised Christ from the dead. Thank you, Father, for that resurrection and that we can know that we also have that opportunity for the eternal resurrection. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for this assembly. And thank you, Father, that you are here with us and we can be confident that you are always faithful to us. Allow us now, Father, to praise you. Allow us to worship you in spirit and truth and to acknowledge that you are the only true and living God and the one who deserves all the glory. Thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. morning. Our first song we're going to sing is At the Cross, Love Ran Red. I think it's a pretty fitting uh, opening song for Easter Sunday. And uh, we have a few people uh, up in the front here joining us today, um, leading our sections. So it'll be a little bit of a more of a special worship time for us this morning. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where Ah! 
morning, our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, if you'd like to follow along. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Greg. Good morning. This is a good day. This is a, my favorite day on the entire calendar in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, we, we recognize that we can celebrate the resurrection of Christ every day of our lives. That this is, in fact, for Christians, the thing that we hang our hopes on. It is where our identity is drawn from. It is a defining moment for who we are as a community. And we believe the defining moment in history. This is the thing that changes our entire understanding of existence. And so this morning, uh, you know, it's, it's, it can be routine to remember the resurrection of Christ, but I, I want us this morning to recognize that of all the dates in history that we can celebrate, all the things that have happened, of all of the, the moments in time that we can be excited over, this is it. There is nothing greater in the history of humanity, 
than the resurrection of Christ. See, uh, we look forward to a day when Christ will return and we will be brought into community with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in a way that even now we are only foreshadowing that time. We are blessed in that the Spirit of God resides within us. We are blessed in that we know the Spirit in a way that no people before Christ really understood the Spirit. We are blessed in that we have an understanding of who Jesus is, what his mission was as he came to this earth, as he lived and died and was resurrected, and then he ministered to his disciples after his resurrection so that they might have what they needed in order to go share this with the world. And we have an open line of communication with the Father as a result of all of this. That's great. And we look forward to a time where that will be even fuller and more enriching and more wonderful. But none of that would have been possible were it not for the resurrection of Christ. And Jesus spends a tremendous amount of time in the Gospel of Luke, in all of the Gospels, really preparing his disciples for the day that he will die. And he constantly tells them, and then I will rise from the dead. In fact, in Luke, he, he specifically tells his disciples after the transfiguration, which uh, Kyle shared with us a while back, you know, don't tell anybody about this. Keep it under your hats. Don't proclaim to them the glory that you've seen in this moment until I have risen. Jesus forecasts the resurrection. And as, as Greg read to us this morning, what I find outstanding about that is that even though he's told them repeatedly, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again, they still don't get it when it actually happens. I'd, I want you to think about the words that Greg had read, uh, that the, the women see that he has risen. They have an experience that confirms to them the words that Jesus had said. The angels explain to them, it's just as he said it was going to be. If you read the Gospel of John, uh, Mary, Mary Magdalene and Jesus have a moment in the garden where she sees him, where he calls her name. She knows that this has happened. And they go back, the women go back, and they tell the disciples what has happened, and they think that they're crazy. They're shocked at the things that they have to say. No, this can't possibly be. And Peter, who goes and sees the empty tomb, the words there at the end, he wonders what has happened. What I love about that is that they're, they're, they're prepared through the gospel, through the ministry, the life of Christ, for exactly this moment. And they still struggle to understand what's happened. Because this has never happened in history before. Now, mind you, Jesus himself has risen people from the dead at this point in the gospel. But nobody raised Jesus. Jesus rose. There's a difference. You see, when Jesus calls out to Lazarus from the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. By the power of Christ, Lazarus is raised from the dead. When Jesus goes and... and brings a young girl who has died back to life. Jesus brings her back to life. Nobody else stood outside of Jesus's tomb and called him out. Nobody, nobody laid hands on his body to raise him from the dead. And three days after he had died, or on the third day, I should say, he rose from the dead. 
in quiet. In, in a way that was mostly unwitnessed. Now, there are some guards that are quite shooken up over the situation who might say, no, we, we witnessed something. We don't know what we saw, but it was terrifying. But it was mostly a quiet event that was confirmed later by the appearance of Christ, by the appearance of angels, the testimony of angels. And when the first witnesses to the gospel, the women, go back to tell the men, hey, this is what has happened. This is the good news. They're like, "Ah, I don't know about this. Hold on a second. Peter's, I'm going to go confirm this for myself. Let me see about this. You know, I'm not buying the story unless I see it with my own eyes. And he goes back to the tomb and he wonders what has happened. And we, we have to feel, as people who know the story, who have read it multiple times, inside and out, backwards and forward, we, we know the strokes and we know the, the beats of the story as it happens. We find ourselves asking, why in the world doesn't Peter get it? Why does he not understand what's going on? And again, I tell you, it's because nothing like this in history has ever happened before. And it hasn't happened since. It's a singular moment. And so we, we move forward in the gospel from this moment where Peter is kind of shaking his head in disbelief. You know, I know what the women said. I just don't, I don't know. Is that what really happened? And we get to this this. Wonderful scene. As Kyle and I were talking about this series, you know, I had in mind an Easter Sunday sermon uh, about four or five months ago uh, that is wildly different than what I want to share with you this morning. But as we read the story of the road to Emmaus in the context of the, the Gospel of Luke, thinking about all the things that have happened, all the ways in which Jesus has already explained himself and his mission, we find ourselves on the road to Emmaus. So says that very day, That very day, two of them, meaning disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? I love this moment. First of all, Jesus has kind of obscured himself in a way that they don't quite recognize him. I don't know if this is the Spirit's doing, if maybe he's wearing a hood, uh, you know, all sorts of different ways that he could mask his identity. But Jesus invites himself into the conversation that they're already having. A random traveler on the road to Emmaus. And, And their response is incredible to me. This is the road that they're walking down. Uh, we, we don't know for sure exactly where Emmaus was. Now, fortunately, the Bible tells us it was about seven miles away from Jerusalem, okay? So we have some archaeological sites that we can kind of identify. And the most likely one I've put up on the screen here for you is seven to five miles from the town center of Jerusalem to Emmaus itself. And if you look at the topography here, it's, it's kind of an uphill climb. So you come down out of Jerusalem... And then you begin a slow ascent to Emmaus. And there's a a river that runs through there. It's, you know, not an insignificant place. Um, In fact, Emmaus is supposed to be like a a restful, um, almost an oasis in some ways. 
And Jesus walks along the road with them to Emmaus. This is, I want you guys to have this geography in mind as we're, we're talking about it. You can see Emmaus is kind of in the foothills of this region. It's, it's, a, it's a long walk. It's maybe a little bit difficult after you get out of Jerusalem itself to get to Emmaus. And these men have kind of resigned themselves to the walk. They're leaving Jerusalem. And the conversation they have is a conversation of departure. It's not a conversation of celebration. It's not a conversation of, of joyfulness. It's not a hopeful conversation. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What I love is that Jesus doesn't say, of course I know. Of all the people in the world who could possibly know what happened in Jerusalem, I'm the one. Instead, he invites them to tell the story. What things? What happened in Jerusalem? What do I need to know about? And this, this is where Jesus almost hears a gospel sermon. I want you to listen to the words that they use. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And we'll stop there for just a second. I want you to hear those words. This is like almost the Nicene Confession. It's, it's almost like the, the, the story that the church has told over and over again about Jesus. If we just stopped right here and we added on the resurrection, we'd be a long way towards Christian orthodoxy out of the mouths of these two men. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. This sounds a little, a little defeated. These men are disciples of Jesus. These are good men. They're people who loved him, who followed him. They were excited about the potential he had. And as we talked about last week, they might have even been among the crowd of people that were waving palm branches and throwing their cloaks down on the road, excited to proclaim the king who had arrived in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he. And a little over a week later, they are defeated. We had hoped it's been three days. Jesus, a prophet, mighty in word and deed, delivered to authorities, crucified. We had hoped he would redeem Israel. And they continue. Moreover, and you almost hear a chuckle in their voice a little bit. Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. They amazed us. 
how silly of them to think that Jesus had risen from the dead. Body was probably stolen. Grave robbers. There's a lot of people in Jerusalem right now. Some women of our company amazed us. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. This is such a sad recitation of the gospel. The women said that they they know that he's raised, that an angel gave them a message, but you know what? When the men went to confirm it, they didn't see. So we've lost hope. That's That's our state. And it's so strange because as Christians this morning, we are so excited about the resurrection of Christ, and yet these men, in the face of having been witnessed to about the gospel of Christ, are resigned to defeat. As if they hadn't heard the message of Jesus over and over, ringing in their ears, the Son of Man will be betrayed, the Son of Man will die, and on the third day he will rise again. Him they did not see. And this is where Jesus turns the tables. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is, this is one of my favorite passages because uh, Jesus is usually pretty patient with people. Now, there's times, even in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus gets a little uptight with his disciples who don't quite understand the things he's been telling them. And sometimes they're a little too dense to take in the things that they've been told. But here's the deal. Jesus has no patience for these two right now. Now, he was patient enough to let them tell the story. He asked them to tell the story. He wanted to know what was troubling them. Jesus is concerned, as we said at the very beginning of this series, with the whole person. He's concerned with their well-being. And them rehearsing the story, telling him what troubles them, is important to him. He lets them tell the story. And then he identifies where their story falls short. And he makes the story better. He gives them the context that they need to understand the good news that they are right now in this moment encountering. He says, you fools, so slow of heart. This was necessary. All of this had to happen. And what I love about it is that then he goes back and he gives them like an on-the-road Bible lesson, okay? They're walking uphill. Jesus is walking uphill, and he's teaching them through the entire Old Testament all the ways in which they were supposed to understand exactly what had happened based on the things that had started with Moses. When we talk about Moses, we're not just talking about the book of Exodus. We're talking about the the Pentateuch, the law, the pieces of the, the Bible that are the earliest writings about God's work for humanity through history. He says, it's all been about me. And if you'd been reading carefully enough, you wouldn't have been surprised 
to see what happened on this day. See, sometimes we think that the the death of Christ is the most tragic moment in all of history. Now, it's a sad moment that this was required and necessary. But I think Jesus is telling the, the disciples here, you know, yes, mourn and weep that my death was necessary, but recognize it was the plan all along. My suffering, my death on the cross, Moses knew about it. Maybe he didn't know exactly what form it would take, but he knew that I was going to have to suffer. And this is from the man who's literally talked to Moses just a few chapters before. If you remember, Moses and Elijah on the mountain with Jesus, and there's this moment where the, the greatest prophet and the lawgiver are standing with Jesus on the mountain, and they're discussing the things that are about to come, right? This is the great thing about it, like the foreshadowing over here. And he's like, that's what Moses and I were talking about on the mountain. Don't you guys know? Don't you understand? Go back and read your Bible, he's saying. Jesus marching uphill with these two disciples, patiently, maybe a little frustrated, but patiently walking them through God's plan in the Old Testament for the salvation, not just of, as they thought, Israel, but of humanity. The first thing Jesus does when he rises from the grave is begin proclaiming the good news to those who will then go proclaim the good news. He proclaims it to the women. And when the women aren't believed, because they're women, and in the first century Jerusalem, you don't believe the women without a second testimony as well. He says, fine, if you're not going to listen to the women that I sent to you to tell me that I rose from the dead, I'm going to tell you myself. I will confirm their words. I will give authority to their testimony. This is what I love about this whole passage is that Jesus is like, look, the Bible told you this was going to happen. Your scriptures told you this was going to happen. And when the women came and told you exactly what the Bible was telling you all along was going to happen, you didn't believe them. Why are you so foolish? I love this passage. I don't know. Maybe it's just the the Bible nerd in me, but this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, specifically because Jesus is like, get it through your heads. I had to die in order for there to be a resurrection. My death is good news because it brought about the resurrection. Don't lament. Don't weep. Be excited about the good news. I want to tell you this morning a couple of things here. Uh, This is is maybe um, moralizing the story, which I usually try not to do. But I think that the moral of the story of the road to Emmaus is this. Jesus knows where we're at in his story. He knows what we know about him. He knows where our our understanding falls short. He knows the parts of the gospel that we struggle to reconcile in our own hearts. And he is willing to help us tell the story better by telling the story to us, by giving us the context, by walking with us literally that uphill road to Emmaus so that we might understand better the good news so that we can then go proclaim it to others. See, Jesus meets the women in the garden. Well, he meets Mary in the garden. 
He meets these fellows on the road to Emmaus. If they had shown up in the garden, maybe out of some expectation or some, some longing to be near him, maybe he would have appeared to them there. But that's not where they're at. That's not where Jesus finds them. But Jesus does find them outside of the city of Jerusalem on a five to seven mile walk uphill, struggling internally and maybe struggling a little physically because they've probably had a couple of sleepless nights. And he walks with them. And he talks with them. And now I'm going to quote a song. He doesn't say you're my own, but he does tell them, hey, foolish ones, there's some good news. Hear it. Believe it. This morning, I want, to, I want to tell you this. I think that Jesus wants to walk the road to Emmaus with you. Whether you already believe in the resurrection or not, Jesus wants to help you understand the story of the gospel better than you did yesterday. If your understanding of the resurrection is, is lacking, Jesus wants you to have a broader and more beautiful understanding of the resurrection. He wants you to come to faith in the resurrection, the good news that the Christ must suffer and die and rise again. That is something that Jesus wants for you. If you don't know the beauty of the resurrection, it's not because Jesus is trying to hide it from you. Jesus will walk uphill with you spiritually and physically to make sure that you get the message. But you have to be willing to hear it. The other thing is this. If you already know the gospel, there might be areas in which you need some refreshing. I think about Peter who, uh, you know, goes to the tomb and he's, he's confused about what he doesn't find there. And just a, a few weeks later, is up proclaiming the resurrection because Jesus spends a good solid chunk of time, 40 days, really instructing these disciples, telling them the good news of the gospel so they are prepared to go and preach it to the world. And when Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost, he is a man on fire who has all the blanks filled in until he doesn't. And then God gives him the opportunity to fill those blanks in. Wherever you are in your relationship with Christ, he's willing to walk with you. He's willing to help you tell the story better, to know the story better, to make the story your own. And where you have trouble and sorrow and doubt and difficulty in understanding and processing exactly what this good news is, he's willing to shake his head and say, oh, you foolish one. Don't you know how much I love you? Those times where we walk away dejected from a situation that he's invited us into, thinking I have failed so miserably. I don't belong in this place anymore. This is these disciples leaving Jerusalem. We don't belong here. This is not what we thought it was. We didn't understand what we were in. My hope is gone. Jesus says, no, I'm not done with you yet. I have more of the story to tell you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are, we are foolish and stubborn. 
And sometimes we really struggle to understand the gospel in the way that you have provided it to us. And that's not a failure on your part. Sometimes, God, it's, it's a failure on our part to put the pieces together. But this morning for Christians, for people who have a faith in Jesus, the good news is that even as we are lacking, you will walk with us. That you will come alongside us, you will hear our, our, our hurt, our sorrow, our lack of hope sometimes, and you will make it well. Just help us to be willing to make that walk with you and to recognize that we are not alone on the road that lies ahead of us. As you tell your disciples at the end of the Gospels, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. As you tell us in the Gospel of John that you will send your comforter to be with us. As we know that we have the avenue of prayer to approach the Father, to stand before the throne in your name, and to cry out with our concerns, our difficulties, our frustrations, our shortcomings. Help us to embrace this good news. Because, God, sometimes we just think that the gospel stops at the resurrection. But, Father, there is so much more good news that comes after as you mold us and shape us and work on our hearts and help us to become more and more the people you long for us to be. The good news of the arrival of the Spirit in our lives. The good news of your church at work in the world. God, we recognize that some of us struggle. We, we get to, to Friday, we get to the crucifixion, and we really struggle to move beyond your death. Or we get to the, the empty tomb, and we really struggle to, to figure out what happens next. And that's not where you want to leave any of us. So I pray for this congregation this morning that you would move us forward in the story. Open our eyes. Help us to see clearly the good news of the work that you are doing in us, the good news that you are working in the world, and we have the opportunity to be a part of that. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we, we talk about the resurrection. And if you don't know the resurrection this morning, as I said before, it is the most important singular event in the history of the world. And it would be a shame for us not to share that with you. If you are curious about what the resurrection is, why Christians hold this as such a sacred and essential part of our faith, I'd be happy to talk with you about that. I'd be happy to do what Jesus does with these two men on the road to Emmaus who says, you know, yeah, we don't understand what's going on. I'd be happy to sit down and talk through the resurrection with you. Our elders would be happy to visit with you about that. If you're a Christian and you are struggling, even after an understanding of the resurrection, to know what story God is telling in your life, what the next steps are, we want to help you with that as well. Our elders can help you with that. I can help you with that. Um, this morning I'm helping sing, so I won't be in the back of the auditorium, but I'm positive if you need someone to visit with and you head towards the back of the auditorium, one of our elders will meet you there uh, to talk and visit with you. If not today, sometime this week, be praying for God to open your eyes to the story he's telling in your life, how he's living out the gospel through you so that you might have a more full understanding of the gospel. Let's stand and sing.
Words are stirring deep within me. Could it be my time has come when I see my gracious Savior face to face when all is done? Is that his voice I am hearing? Come Please be seated. Then through the darkness, yo. 
In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand, in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for
the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry And the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I'd stay in the garden with him, though the night around me be but he bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tell. Good morning. Good morning. A question I puzzled on when I was a brand new Christian at age 14, sitting in one of these pews here, was how do we take communion in remembrance of Jesus when he died before we were born? That was a big puzzle for me as, as a young man. One way I entered into this thought was... How do I remember my grandma, Frances Harley, who also died before I was born? There are a few ways I do that. Uh, number one was regular meals, times of to get together, quiet down a little bit, and remember. I also think there's a strong tie between food and memory. I'm not a neurologist, but I can tell when it's mom or grandma's recipe. There's, there's something going on there. Uh, number two, there were testimony and stories from my family members and some pictures, too. Um, one quick story from my grandma Frances is when she was dating with my grandpa, Sig, she told him, I don't like the smell of your cigarettes, and I won't kiss you until you give them up. And that was the day my grandpa quit smoking. 
right there. Uh, but I feel that that story gives me a picture and a strong sense of who she was, and those stories get passed down. And then third, I see reflections of my grandma in her family, the things, parts of her personality and her values that she passed down to my mom, my aunts, and my uncles. Uh, when I see her reflection in my mom, I get a very strong belief that um, my grandma Frances was hardworking, very kind and good with children, and very loving. So how do we remember Jesus? We have a regular time where we take a small meal to quiet down and remember him. We have testimony by eyewitnesses written down in the Bible saying, we want to tell you this story and really get it right. And then we see reflections in our brothers and sisters of Jesus, the things he taught them and the things that they teach us. Uh, a quick reflection from the Apostle Paul from the, um, the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's say a prayer and remember Jesus and remember his body that was broken. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus, and we thank you for the memories that we have. Although he died before we were born, we thank you for this time to quiet down. We thank you for the stories and the pictures that we get from the Bible and we thank you for the reflections of Jesus and his sacrifice that we see in our brothers and sisters. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Continuing on from 1 Corinthians, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'd like to key in on two phrases there, the new covenant in Jesus's blood and proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper, the, the actual elements are wonderfully simple. And it's not a, a huge ceremony where we're up and moving around, but it's not a passive thing either. When we do this, we are under a new covenant, a new promise from Jesus, and we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes back and is resurrected. That new covenant is that we believe that Jesus was born. He lived as a man here on earth. He was a man and the son of God at the same time. He died. He was buried in the tomb. After three days, he was resurrected. And later he ascended and he rules now with God in heaven. And that when we believe this, we confess our sins and are baptized. We'll have 
eternal life with Jesus in heaven. So this is not a passive thing we are doing. When we take this together as a family, we are proclaiming that we believe Jesus lived, he died, and he was resurrected. And that's a very powerful thing to do. So let's, uh, we'll say a quick prayer, and then we'll, we'll do that now. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the blood. And uh, we're sorry for the death of Jesus and that our sin had part of that. But we're so thankful for forgiveness. And we're so thankful that Jesus rose again after the de- his death and that we'll be with him in heaven. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I think now there's a, a reminder slide uh, should be if, if you'd like to give to the work here. Any work in life uh, takes investment, right? It takes money, it takes time, it takes hard work and effort. So if you'd like to contribute, uh, there's three ways to give. You can mail or drop in a check. Uh, you can set up giving through your bank or you can, uh, there's a link on our website. So uh, thank you. God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive, he lived and died to buy my pardon, an empty grave is there to prove my Savior Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives but greater still the calm This child can face uncertain days because he lives, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone. 
Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And then one day I'll cross that river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he reigns because he Thanks, everyone, for being here today. Um, we uh, want to give thanks to the leaders of today's service, uh, Greg, Chris, Michael, and Mr. Stutzman. And I just revealed one of my flaws. I'm horrible with names, okay? What? Ben. ben? All right. Thank you. Ben Stutzman. Anyway, so I just got bailed out. Thank you, Chris. Chris has many talents. And um, the sermon today was excellent. The single most important event in all of history. I hope, hopefully, we've gained, all gained a little more comprehension of what took place and how important that it is. For announcements, I'm just, I'll just mention that uh, Kids' Day is coming up this Saturday, and the Willamette Valley Men's Day is also coming up um, next month. There are other announcements in the bulletin uh, in great detail, but more importantly, there's a prayer, a prayer list, and so there are many 